Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. As a guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days in the field. This show is about translating my hard-won experiences into tips and tactics that'll get you closer to your ultimate goal, success in the field. I'm Remy Warren. This is Cutting the Distance. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. A little turkey gobble there for you. Thanksgiving. A lot of people call it Turkey Day as well, I think, because we eat a lot of turkey that day. And since everyone's so focused on the bird, I figured I might as well do a podcast to set the record straight. This week, I'm going to be talking about how elk hunting is absolutely not like turkey hunting. While there might be similarities in calling, the physical hunting of them is very different. As a guide, I find that most of the hunters who have not hunted elk are they're pretty much indoctrinated to think that the two are nearly the same and those hunters come completely unprepared in my mind. So I'm going to honor the turkey today by saying they're very fun to hunt, but the hunt is different than elk hunting. While all kinds of hunting has crossover tactics, I'm going to break down the things that every new or veteran hunter needs to know about chasing the elusive bull elk. But before we do that, I want to tell a funny story of the ball cap turkey. When I first started guiding elk hunters, a very popular theme that I didn't really realize was a thing. It's like a lot of guys would show up and they didn't never elk hunt and be like, oh, elk hunting is just like turkey hunting. And I was like, man, where is, it? where is everyone getting this? But at the time, it seemed like nearly every article was relating turkeys and elk tactics. So it's like if you turkey hunt, these are tactics that you use for elk. And what they neglected to talk about was the major differences as well. So it was like people would show up and in their mind, elk hunting and turkey hunting were nearly identical. Like you do the same thing that you would do turkey hunting to chase elk. And about in the first 15 minutes of elk hunting, people were like, wow, 
This is completely different. This is nothing like turkey hunting. And the major factor in there is inserting large mountains and large distances to go over. Yes, turkeys call. Yes, elk call. But outside of that, very few similarities. The actual hunt, the actual physical physicality of chasing elk is so much different that most people by the midday of the first day were like, this is absolutely nothing like turkey hunting. And I think that that statement is very true. So on this particular week, I had a guy that was, I mean, he was a diehard turkey hunter, done the turkey slam thing, trying to shoot turkeys all over the place. And this was his first elk. He's just, you know, everything like, I mean, we all have those certain things that we love to hunt. We grew up hunting, obsessed about hunting. I would say this guy was a turkey nut to the fullest. And so he's like, yeah, you know, really want elk hunt because it's just like turkey hunting. I love turkey hunting, all this stuff. And I'm like, yep, you know, I was like, all right. And then I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy's in for a rude awakening. So <clears throat> we go out the first day and it's just like bull bugles. I bugle, bull bugles. I'm like, it's like turkey hunting. You know, at this point it is. It's like gobble, gobble. Here we go. Right. And then it was one of those scenarios where the bull starts pushing the cows away. I'm like, all right, here we go. This is where it changes. And now it's like, we got to dog this bull. We got to get here. We got to try to cut him off because calling the bull to us isn't going to happen. We've got a million miles of public land. We can go anywhere we want and we're going to go everywhere those elk go. And the chase is on. So moving, trying to call, trying to get the bull in, going up the mountain. And it's just like one of those dogging all day chase move i'm like all right move get set up and then we get get the bull coming in i'm like okay get yourself set up you know and then maybe there's some cows around just getting too timid and i'm like all right you gotta get set up better like getting behind the brush and getting in front of brush and all this stuff right just a few little mistakes here and there had the bull come in a couple times and then chase again moving moving and then you know completely exhausted by about half day and then we pretty much keep keep hiking keep hunting um then about, about midday kind of switch tactics over spot and stock kind of stuff by the end of the day the guy was like this is absolutely nothing like turkey hunting especially because it's just so physical so um, not really expecting that portion of the mountains yes they're calling but the the physical aspect of it the having to go where the elk are going uh, completely just kind of blindsided I'm like, yeah, I've seen that happen many a times. So we're, we're going and we end up the next day getting on some bulls, uh, doing like a spot and stock kind of thing. And then ended up going back. I think we had to grab something, you know, from where we were staying. And at the time uh, I was guiding out of this, like, um, kind of like a motel sort of thing, like a motel and a restaurant and a bar thing all connected. It was pretty much middle of nowhere, Montana. And so we're going back there and, and before we pull in, you know, we're talking about turkey hunting and the guy's laughing like, oh man, this is nothing like turkey hunting. And he's like, do you, you know, he's curious. He's like, oh, do you turkey hunt? And I was like, around here, we don't really turkey hunt. Um, not because like there's just other things to chase, chase bears and whatever. Not that I don't like turkey hunting or whatever. I was like, I, I could see it being more appealing to me other places. Like I've gone other places and hunted turkeys, but around here it's just like, it's pretty easy hunting you know it's like turkeys are pretty dumb and he's like no way no way turkeys you're dumb he's like i he's like i i just can't agree with that like the turkey is the smartest animal out there and i was like okay and like literally he just said that and i was like i'll show you what turkey hunting's like so we pull up and park 
uh, and he, he steps out and there'd been like this flock of turkeys living behind the bar. So I get out and as soon as I get out, I just give it a gobble. like, <laughs> And from up on the hill behind the bar, there's like turkey gobbles. So I'm like, all right, here we go. And giving it some mouth putts. And here comes the flock, like the entire flock of turkeys in this formation, just running as fast as they can right to us. And as the turkey gets close to the truck, I pop my hat off and throw it and ring it right around the front turkey's head. <laughs> and that turkey just goes ballistic. Just like it, it kind of like the hat got stuck on its head and it's, it's flopping around and it's flapping its wings and shaking its head and doing the whole dance. And I am just rolling laughing because here we were just talking about uh, how difficult the turkeys are. And I was telling him around here, they aren't that, uh, that hard. And then that you could pretty much kill them with a tack hammer. And then do a perfect ringer uh, first call setup of the day, essentially, right around the turkey's head with the hat. I called it uh, the ball cap turkey. All week we were just joking around about uh, there's butterball turkeys and then there's ball cap turkeys. And in this part where we were at, a lot of ball cap turkeys. Now, I don't want anyone to think that I don't enjoy turkey hunting, but I like to tell those kind of stories. It's fun because I like to think of elk hunting much like elk hunting. And there's a few tactics and a lot of differences that if you understand the differences and hunt elk like elk, you're going to be a lot more successful. So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of do a play on the elk hunting is like turkey hunting and talk about some of the major differences and then how to exploit elk and use those tactics that are specific to elk hunting. I think whether you're a veteran hunter, whether you're a new hunter, whether you want to hunt elk because you love hunting turkeys, which is absolutely the truth of if you enjoy that interaction of calling animals, September elk hunting and spring turkey hunting has that same kind of excitement level of we're calling something in, we're, we're conversing with the animal. Those similarities are very true. But I want to talk about the differences and how to exploit those differences for elk. So the first thing that is different between elk and turkeys is elk don't roost in trees. Sometimes they bed, sometimes they feed, but understanding what an elk is doing at night can help you make your play during the daytime. And I think that's a tactic that is often overlooked by elk hunters or hunters in general. What I mean by that is, you know, think about this, like what elk generally do in the mornings and evenings is they are they're in a feed pattern. And that's probably the easiest way to exploit or, or pinpoint elk during the day is going from that feed area because that feeding area is going to be more open. Whether like even if you're in thick cover, if you think of hunting elk like mornings and evenings they're feeding, then it can kind of help you narrow down your search. Um, even if it's in the timber or whatever, it kind of lets you know like what they're doing. But what they're doing so like, let's say you find a group of elk that's feeding out in the evening. Okay. So you're like, okay, there's some elk. Let's say you're in, we'll call it New Mexico, big, like flat areas. And then it's like thick timber around and you've got this perfect, beautiful, like meadow park. Okay. So, and you see, you see some elk feeding out there and you're like, sweet. Maybe see it from a distance, whatever. You're like, sweet. What am I going to do? next. So I don't have time to make a play tomorrow or maybe it's the rut and you're like, okay, am I going to start out 
hunting from here. What am I going to do? So what's your next play? Well, you're going to have to make a play for the morning and you need to know what the, like how those elk are going to act from where you last saw them the night before. So what I like to do is decide whether the elk are going to be feeding all night or whether they are essentially going to be in the timber early the next day or moving, like maybe they'll be in a different spot. Do I, am I going to be able to expect those elk in the same place or am I going to probably expect them somewhere different? So knowing what play to make the next day. And here's a few of the factors. So when an elk comes out and feeds in the evening, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll feed and then they'll just bed essentially in the feed and then they'll wake up, they'll continue to feed and they'll move off into cover. There are times though where the elk will feed and then they'll continue to travel or go to a different spot or they'll feed, they'll move into the timber after dark and then in the mornings they'll come back out and feed. So these are a lot of options and here's how I kind of decipher what potentially those elk are going to do when they're going to move and and how to kind of proceed the next day. Just playing that chess game of trying to think, okay, a few steps ahead, what are the elk are doing? Because when a turkey goes to bed, it's sitting in the tree and it's going to be in that tree the next morning. I would say probably 99.99% of the time. You know, there's always the possibility a hurricane could blow it out of a tree and go into the next tree down, down the way. But for the most part, they're going to stay in that roost. Elk don't always stay where you last see them. But it's nice to be able to decide whether they will be there or where, where they might go. And I think the major factors are light of the moon and weather during the night. So if I see some elk feeding in a certain area and they come out evening time, and then I know that there's going to be no moon and no crazy weather, then generally those elk I find, I found like just through pure observation of being out thousands of days watching elk, most of the time they're going to just bed in that meadow and be or right on the edge and be there in the morning. Now, if there's a lot of moon and a lot of light, now that means that it's not cloudy. It's it's not essentially the moon itself like oh the moon's out and it's affecting the way these animals are moving it's more a factor of of the amount of light the visibility and how safe they see often what happens is they'll be feeding throughout the night because they can see and then before daylight they start to move into the cover earlier whereas if there wasn't a lot of light they might feed bed wake up feed go into cover so if it's going to be a lot of light, then I expect those elk possibly to be nearby because I think that they're still going to feed. They're going to use that meadow all night and then they're going to feed nearby and they'll be in kind of some cover. So I might adapt my tactic a little bit more. I might go kind of start a little bit earlier in those bedding areas or those areas that I think that they would move to later in the day if it's bright out at night or potentially saying that they might move or travel to another area. So I'm not necessarily expecting to see those elk the next morning. Now, if it's like um, major wind, major storms, something like that over the course of the night, then I expect the animals to kind of be bedded up, like go into the cover of something where they're out of the wind, something where they aren't going to be as blasted by that weather, and then move out and feed often later. So I know that that'll probably be a good day to also hunt the feed because they're going to be probably out feeding a little bit later if they've got the storm. Sometimes it might even be waiting until something clears, especially if the temperature is dropping. Um, so those are, those are just factors to think about when you see elk in the evening feeding and then how to make kind of an assessment guess 
the next day what they might be doing. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in they got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want land.com isn't just about buying and selling it's about finding a place to hunt fish explore or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth second major factor in understanding elk and elk hunting especially when it comes to calling elk and it, i don't think it can be stressed enough but the setups are not often very close when it comes to elk hunting you just have to have in your mind that you're probably going to have to walk a lot even if, I mean, there has been so many hunts where I have got, let's say I've got a bull that bugled from the road or the truck. Most of the time, in order to call in an elk, you have to, in some form, chase them down. They cover a lot of ground. There's a lot of ground to be had. Um, and because of that, you know, there's a lot of footwork in between. When you think about elk hunting, you need to think about elk hunting in the frame of reference like if you change your mindset from like thinking about like, oh, it's uh, they're calling and the calling makes it easier. You need to think about the calling makes them maybe easier to find and susceptible to getting close. 
but you're going to have to cover a considerable amount of ground. When we are doing art, like when I'm archery hunting, whether it's my myself guiding clients, the days are longer one and this lends to it, but also the animals are moving more. We cover a lot more ground during the archery season than we do the rifle season. The elk aren't moving as much during rifle season. You might have to go further and get further away from roads and other things. But over the course of that amount of daylight during archery season, when elk are making noise, you're chasing them a lot further. And I think that you really need to be prepared for the factor of elk uh, is a physical deal. If you think of elk hunting more like a sheep hunt where it's like, hey, I'm going on, when a guy goes on a sheep hunt, he's like, I got to get in sheep shape. I got to get prepared. I got to prepare physically and mentally they're, they're getting prepared. Now I know that in recent years has been more of a, a hot, a topic. Like people are understanding that elk hunting is a very physical endeavor, but even when like you get what I would consider an easy elk, most of the time you have to put in some serious footwork and preparing for that footwork is probably one of the leading factors in success. I always say like, if somebody can keep up, if you can hike, if you can uh, hunt hard, you just, you just guaranteed your success in many ways because the ability to go day in day out is what leads to a lot of elk being taken. Especially if you're new at it, you can kind of compensate for lack of knowledge by just lack of grit and determination by being able to, when you find the elk, keep up, keep going and keep after it. So what that means is in the off season, in the time off, it's preparing physically for those long all day hikes and preparing mentally knowing that, Hey, I'm getting myself into something that's very physical. And that's the difference when I'm, Every time I've been turkey hunting, well, I take that back. I've done some mountain turkey hunts. I'm like, okay, I had to put in quite a few miles. Uh, But for the most part, you know, preparing and knowing that before sunup, you're going to be hiking. When you hear the elk bugling, you're going to be hiking. In order to call an elk in, you're probably going to have to chase them down and cover a lot of ground and go to them. Even because you hear one bugle over there, I would say... Every 10 elk, I don't know, let's say we call at 100 elk, two might come to us over considerable distance out of 100 that you get going. Most of them, you got to go cut the distance, get close, and then throw out those call tactics to bring that bull to your location. Now, whether it's now, let's turn that into like late season rifle hunting or whatever, you're still going to have to cover a considerable amount of ground. There's a lot of footwork needed to be consistently successful in elk and knowing that preparing for that in the off season is just going to give you more success. So whether you've elk hunted your whole life or are new to it, knowing that you're going to have to put in some time, uh, hiking, being prepared to cover some terrain in the mountains is gonna make you more successful. So some of the things that I like to do in the off season is like, just, I've, I've talked about it before and whether you live in mountains or not, getting in your mindset of preparing, like I've got to prepare for an elk hunt and I've got to be physically ready for it. So putting on that weighted pack, covering ground during the off season, hiking, you know, like running, getting physically fit and physically active. The, the more I say, the better shape you're in, the better your success rate's going to be. And that's just across the board when it comes to elk hunting. Now the third tactic that is different than turkey hunting and that can be exploited to find success is the fact that elk are a lot harder to carry than turkey. And what I mean is you're going to have to pack it out and you need to plan accordingly. Um, But also 
when I was, I would say, I don't know, I was about maybe 18 or 19, you know, like growing up kind of like this philosophy, like you, you would see elk or like, you know, hunting with my dad when I was a kid or like with my grandpa when I was a kid, um, or like just, you know, going out with random people elk hunting and they'd be like, oh yeah, like there's probably elk there, but man, you'd have to carry it out of there. That's a long, you know what I mean? Just like worried about the pack out portion. And a lot of people are like, you know, I mean, there's, there, obviously there's exceptions. Like you, some stuff is just really difficult. You don't want to get yourself into that scenario maybe. But one thing that I started doing was like, I'm going to think about the places that are just horrible to carry an elk out. And those are the, going to be the places that I go hunt. And I started finding like a lot easier success. I'd be like, wow, I went in there, I killed an elk on day one, day two, and then spent the next three days packing it out. But Hey, I was, it was either that, or I was going to spend the week, um, potentially chasing elk and not getting anything and putting in the same amount of hard work is just going into the place that a lot of people shunned because it would be difficult to get the elk out. And then just taking my time, packing it out, you know, obviously making sure the conditions are right where I could hang the meat and get it out all okay. But flipping my mindset of being like, they are harder to carry. They are hard to carry. They can be difficult to pack out. And then pinpointing those places of like, man, I don't really want to pack an elk out of here hunting that because it's a, it's a way to kind of like find elk that other people don't want to chase. Now, as the third difference of elk hunting and turkey hunting is I think turkeys actually have a lot better eyesight than elk. And it's one thing that you want to think about. I've said it before, but I feel like uh, a lot of people don't realize like what you can get away with with elk in many in many ways. Not that they don't see you, but the elk is kind of like the T-Rex, if you've seen Jurassic Park, of the animal world. If you freeze and don't move, they don't see you most of the time. As long as their eyes are obstructed, like if you're in timber and there's a herd of elk, you can move and get away with a lot because they're used to movement and other things, especially if you're mixing and calling and other stuff. Now, you can't do something blatantly stupid. You don't want to spook the animals. But you also don't need to, like, like I would say, if a, if a flock of turkeys came in and there's a bunch of hens and whatever, you probably aren't going to get away with a lot of sneaking around because they're going to catch that movement and they're going to be gone. They they have incredible eyesight. Whereas elk, they're kind of more mellow about that movement. They they aren't as finicky about where you set up. Like you can set up in front of a you can almost set up in in places where it's like not that not I wouldn't say like moose setups where you're like okay, I'm like standing out in the open um and calling and just not moving, but um you can get into positions where you need to get set up to make that shot. When it comes to elk hunting like being able to set up correctly when a bull might be coming in is huge. And I think what happens is a lot of people get timid because there's like a cow 90 yards over here feeding and she's not really paying attention, but they see that other animal and like, I can't move. Um, I, they freeze and, and like, instead of getting in a good position are worried about spooking that cow that might catch a little bit of movement in the timber. And the odds are, if you watch the eyes of the elk, if you put their eyes behind something, you've got enough cover and you can move kind of like do that undetected movement. If they can't, if you can't see their eye, they can't see you and kind of edging on the, I would say edging on the level of dangerous just to get into a good position, go for it. If I know like, Hey, I'm going to, I could potentially like, 
um, maybe, you know, like spook a cow or something, but I need to get into this better position. I opt for going for that better position because I found that a lot of success, especially when it comes to calling elk or whatever, is just being in the right position. And sometimes you have to move around and, and get into that position. And you can do that by observing the eyes of the animals. And then you can get away with a little bit more knowing that their eyesight is good, but it's probably not their best defense. Now, if you're out in the wide open and you're just doing something stupid, yeah, they're going to see you and run away. That is a, a very likely scenario. But for the most part, I try to kind of like hedge my bets. I say, what's better to, to blow them out or to not be in position. Sometimes you might say, oh, I don't want to blow them out. Um, but I try to find those scenarios where it's like, I'm not going to blow them out. I'm going to be able to move and get into the right spot. But also when that bull comes in, I'm going to be in the good spot to make that shot. And I found a lot of success doing that. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that podcast. I just want to say happy Thanksgiving again. Hopefully you're enjoying your family today. Uh, maybe you're going out hunting. I know for my family, it's a big tradition to go hunting. And, and another big tradition is cooking wild game during Thanksgiving. So as a extra little bonus, I uploaded a video. One of my favorite ways to prepare venison it could be whitetail, could be elk, could be axis deer. doesn't matter what you've got. It could be wild pig. One of my favorite ways to prepare it, especially around the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's kind of like the stuffed loin. So on my Remy Warren YouTube channel, I got a new video up there, my stuffed loin recipe. It's definitely a crowd pleaser, uh, one that everybody really enjoys. So if you get some time, want to check that out or want to find a cool way to make some uh, venison this Thanksgiving, add it in, spice it up a little bit, uh, definitely go check that out. I appreciate you all listening. Next week, we're going to be doing one of my favorite kind of episodes, which is the Q&A. So make sure to get your questions in. Um, because I've been in and out of service a lot lately, uh, the hunting season's still kind of rolling around, still guiding. I'm like, I, I find that the messages kind of have been getting buried the way that I've been doing it. I used to just say, send me a message on Instagram. Then when I see one pop up, I screenshot it, but I have trouble refinding them again. So um, we're going to do it a little bit different this week. It's I'm, I'm going to put a post up today on just like ask your question. Then you can ask your question in that post so I can just find it there on Instagram still. I know there's it's not the most perfect way to do it, but I'll do it that way. And then, you know, if you don't feel like asking a question, but you, there's a question on there that you see that you want, like it because then I can rank it like top comments and then I can do those ones. And then maybe I'll scroll through and find some that I just find enjoyable as well, or, or really want to answer. And also feel free to ask, like, it doesn't have to be a lengthy question. It could just be a short question of like a quick answer. If you, if you've got any, like, you know, maybe we can get some quick hitters in there as well. A few just rapid fire question type things. And, oh, also I would say if you are leaving a question on there, um, because it is kind of, you know, anybody can see those, leave out your units or whatever. I, I never want to put somebody's spot on blast. I know some people don't really think of it like that, but there is enough people that read it. Maybe say, oh, I was hunting in this unit in New Mexico, saw a lot of good bulls. I was like, I always leave that out of the direct message questions. So um, just leave it out and then we don't have to worry about putting somebody's spot on blast, whether it's somewhere you hunt a lot or somewhere you hunted for the first time, just ask the question regardless of the unit, because it's a little bit, um, the tactic will be the same. I don't need to know exactly where you're at. And I think that'd be good. I appreciate you all for listening, checking in, tuning in, sending the questions, looking forward to it. This will be definitely the last uh, Q&A of the year, maybe the last Q&A. So 
We need to make sure that if you want, if you got any burning questions, get them in on this one. I appreciate everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. And I'm just going to end it with. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.